Well, good morning, Mount Ararat. I'm Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here, and we are right in the middle of our series called Be Brave. Be Brave. You know, I love the imperative that comes with the title of this series. And I hope that you know this wasn't just some cute title that Pastor Todd picked out, but it really is a desire that he has and we have um, that you would have in 2018, that in 2018 that you would be brave. Now, I know for some of you, fear is never an issue for you. In fact, it never causes any drama in your life. You're a strong charger. Courage is like second nature to you. But for the rest of us, fear can actually even be a giant that we wrestle with. But in 2018, we're hoping that we won't let that fear stop us from living the life that God wants us to live. The life to the full that Jesus wants for us. In fact, fear shouldn't make us stop us from living that life that God wants for us. In fact, I've heard it said that being brave isn't the absence of fear, but it's being able to keep taking a step even if that fear is present. So in 2018, be brave. Be brave. But just for a moment, let's talk about your fears. As I was preparing for this message over this past week, I started to look up a list of phobias that we in America have. And apparently there are a lot of them. So I kind of compiled my own list of maybe some of the top phobias I saw across different lists. So see if any of these kind of fit the bill with you. So the first one I found that I thought was really interesting that was across several lists was this one, hemophobia. Now, this is the fear of either seeing blood, the sight of blood makes you fearful or anxious, or the sight of a needle makes you fearful or anxious. In fact, I know my kids have this one called hemophobia because every time we take them to the doctor to get a shot or get some blood drawn, it becomes like a UFC fight up in that office with those doctors or nurses. But, you know, this is the fear of blood, fear of seeing needles. Anybody have that fear? Anybody have that fear? Okay, all right, a couple of people. All right, now this next one is a fear you may not know you have until I explain what this fear is. So this next one is called globophobia, okay, globophobia. Now this is the fear of balloons popping. So this is where if you're blowing up a balloon and you see that balloon getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know it's getting to the point where it's not going to hold any more air and it's about to pop, and you start feeling tense or anxious, then this is a fear you have. How many guys now know you have another fear you didn't even know you have before? Okay. All right, a couple of people have that one. Now, this next one is probably more common. In fact, when I was a kid, I actually even made a movie about it, and this one's called arachnophobia, okay? This is the fear of spiders. Anybody have that fear? You Marines better keep your hands down. Come on. <laughs> Now, I don't, I don't think I really have this fear, arachnophobia, um, a, sp- a fear of spiders, but I just don't like them. In fact, one of the first things I want to do after I get to heaven and I'm praising Jesus, thanking him for his glorious salvation and all that good stuff, I want to say, why spiders, Jesus? Why didn't you just wipe all those things out? Like, they're a waste of time. I know they have environmental purpose, blah, 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 and all that good stuff. But, you know, another cool thing, and this will help you with your fear, is that I, I read somewhere that over the course of your lifetime, unknowingly, that you actually eat somewhere between five to seven spiders. When you're sleeping, they fall in your mouth, or if you're riding a bike, one may fall in there. So let that help your fear this morning. Okay. All right, now this next one is one that I actually do wrestle with, and it's called claustrophobia. Uh, This is the fear of tight, 
confined spaces. Anybody there with me? You have that fear too? I can't stand it when I feel like the, the room is closing in on me or if I'm in like a really tight space, I feel like I can't breathe. Like I just get a little bit anxious. I get a little bit fearful. In fact, those of you who went to courthouse know I struggle with this. This is one of the reasons why I don't like group hugs. Because people come around you, they're closing in on you, that space is getting tighter. Man, I start trying to elbow people like to get out of that. I can't stand a group hug. Now, before you go thinking, well, I'm going to prove to Andrew that group hugs are good this morning after the service is over, don't. The answer is no, stay away from me. And in fact, if you come near me, you probably will get a flat tire and you might die. So just <laughs> stay away from me. Okay. All right, and then this last one is a fear that I think a lot of people have because it was almost across every single list that I looked up this week. And this one's called glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. Anybody have that fear, fear of public speaking? Anybody want to come up here and finish the rest of this message for me this, this Sunday? You know, there's something about this last fear, this fear of public speaking that I think can be terrifying to so many because there can be something terrifying or something fearful about when we decide to go public. We fear what people might think about us. We fear how things might change in a relationship or in an environment if we go public. In fact, it might be the reason why some of you haven't gotten baptized yet. Because you fear what people might think of you. To see if your story is really even true, if Jesus is really working in your life. It's a, it's a reason why you may not have taken that step yet to go public through baptism. You know, this fear might be the same reason why you haven't told more people that you're a follower of Jesus. Because you fear something may change in a relationship. You fear that people may start judging you or criticizing you. So you just haven't gone more public with what Jesus is doing in your life. This might even be the reason why, even though you may have a good goal or a good dream or something that you know God's calling you to, you fear going public because people might tell you it's just not going to work or it's guaranteed to fail. And there's something that can make us so fearful about going public. And all this month, we were looking at the story of Elijah. You know, Elijah kind of comes on the scene almost out of nowhere. And God calls him initially to go and confront this evil king named Ahab who was over all of Israel. And Ahab had led this entire nation away from God. So Elijah goes to Ahab and he says, there will not be one single ounce of rain or dew that falls on this land for the next several years. And so after Elijah confronts King Ahab, God takes him on this journey. And after he had this confrontation with Ahab, we've been mapping out his journey that God's been taking him on. In fact, let's go and take a look at the map that we've been looking at over the past couple of weeks. After he confronts King Ahab, God tells Elijah to go and hide in the Kareth ravine. And the word Kareth means to either to cut or to hide or to repair. And it was in this private place that God takes Elijah where he brings, and it's a miraculous story, where he brings these ravens to feed Elijah. And there's this brook that Elijah is able to drink from and gain nourishment. But it was in this private place that God wanted to cut some things out of Elijah's life. It was in this private place that God wanted to repair some things in Elijah's life. 
And I love how Pastor Todd even said the very first week that when it comes to bravery, the birthplace of bravery is actually found behind the scenes. So as we've been going through this series, we've been asking the question, how are you doing with that private time with God? Have you found a place yet? Have you found something that's good for you yet to be able to do that private time with the Lord? And I want to encourage you, if you haven't, that you would make this week, you would commit to doing that. Like, don't be discouraged, but instead, get at it. God wants to meet you in those private spaces. And so then God takes him from the Kareth ravine, the brook dries up, and God used that brook drying up to push Elijah to this next season of life that he was calling Elijah to. That he takes him to the region of Zarephath. Now, Zarephath means to refine. And it was during this season that God began to personally refine Elijah's character as he, as he takes care of a widow and her son, helping them carry a burden, helping meet their needs during this season. And then God takes Elijah from Zarephath down to Mount Carmel, where we find ourselves today. Now, here in Mount Carmel, Elijah's getting ready to have this huge battle between these prophets of Baal. In fact, how many of you guys have ever heard the story before of Elijah and the prophets of Baal found here in 1 Kings? You've heard that story before, a couple of you guys. Uh, I know it was a story that's oftentimes in kids' Bibles. In fact, I read it to my kids just a couple of days ago in their kids' Bible. I had a story that many, if you've been following Jesus, you're familiar with. But this is one of those incredible stories where it's almost like this David and Goliath moment where we see Elijah go up against these 450 prophets of Baal. And it's one of those stories that kind of has this idea that if God is with you, even an entire army can't stop you. And if you're not much of a Bible reader, I want to encourage you because we actually won't get through all of it today. I want to encourage you just to read this story. There's something just really encouraging and powerful about this story about Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Now today, God is calling him to Mount Carmel, which means the garden of God. And I love how we've been mapping his life in this private journey, in this personal journey. And now God brings Elijah to this garden, this mountaintop, where he wants to put on display what he's been working in Elijah's life. He wants to put on display this courage, this calling, and this bravery that he's been growing in Elijah. So even as we go through this passage today, I want to ask you, is God growing something in you? And are you ready to go public? If you have your Bible or a Bible app, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. And I believe that here in this passage that there are three public standards that God wants to grow in all of us today. So in 1 Kings 18 verse 1, it says this. It says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. After a long time. Have you ever feel like you've been waiting on God? Like you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. In fact, maybe you're even there right now. You've been waiting on God to do something in your life and you find yourself in this season of waiting or trial or suffering. And maybe it was even hard for you to even make it into this place this morning, but you came because you're hoping for an answer. Maybe you're even watching online. It was hard for you to carve out time out of your day today to be able to log in to watch this message because you've been waiting on God 
or you're going through this season of trial and you're wondering, does God love me? Does he still care about me? Does God even see what I'm going through? And I want you to know this morning right out the gate that God does see you and he does care about you. He does love you. And even during this season of trial, even during this season of waiting, even during this season of suffering, don't miss what God wants to do in you. Because the people of Israel missed it. For three years, God had been sending this message to them that they had followed this foreign God that they thought would bring the crops and help the crops to grow and help animals to grow and bring rain on the land and provide, provide everything that they needed, but he didn't do anything in these three years. God had been trying to send them a message that they needed to turn their hearts back toward him. And you would have thought after three years they would have gotten the point, but they missed it and they continued to worship Baal. But you know who didn't miss it? Elijah. And during this three years, God, Elijah let God do a work in him. He let God minister, minister to him personally and privately. And now as we're getting ready to see to go publicly. And he let God grow his courage and his bravery during this time. And I really do believe that even during the seasons of trials or suffering, God does want to do a work in you. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 says that there's three things that God wants to do in your life, even during these types of seasons. He says that we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. And see, it's even during those seasons that God does want to grow your character. He does want to build up your endurance. And he wants to develop an even greater hope in him during those trials. Church, right now, that's exactly where my wife and I are. That's the season that my wife and I are in. As we've been going through this adoption process, looking to adopt a little girl from India, it's been one of the most testing, trying to persevere times in our lives. As we've literally had people looking at every single angle of our lives from every single financial account, from physical exams and people looking at how healthy we are, from having it where we had to undergo a psychological evaluation, found out my wife is crazy, but turns out I'm not. But I mean, they... <laughs> They look at every single aspect of your lives. But not to mention, too, on top of that, there's deadlines you have to hit and questions you never thought you would have to answer. Social workers come in our home examining how we treat each other, examining how we treat the children. It's been so invasive. God has been testing us during this time. But I do believe that God is trying to build up our endurance. I do believe he's trying to build our character as we've even examined the way that we've been treating each other as husband and wife and even the way that we've been parenting our kids. And not only that, but he's trying to build up an even greater hope in this salvation that he's given us. A greater hope in him to know that he has called us to this. And not only that, but he will indeed provide. So maybe right now you are in a season of waiting and trial or testing. 
Don't miss what God wants to do in you, even during that season. Back to our passage here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. It says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And he said, go and present yourself to Ahab. And God said, I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. The first thing I want you to see that God wants to grow in all of us during this season is that personal obedience has impact on the public. Personal obedience has impact on the public. Every time, every single time it says that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, that God was calling Elijah to do something, in the very next verse after that, it didn't say Elijah hesitated. It didn't say he waited. It said that he went. God called and Elijah said, I'm in. I'm going to go. There's something about when you personally obey God and there's this instant obedience that can make a huge impact on the public. Now, parents, don't you wish that your kids responded in the same way? Like you said to do something and there was this instant obedience and they would obey you. But have you ever noticed that when that actually does, when you actually tell your kids to do something and they obey, how it doesn't just impact them, but it can actually impact your entire family. I know for my wife and I, when, we, when our kids are fighting or something like that, and we actually convince them to stop fighting each other, and when they actually do it, it's like the atmosphere in the household instantly changes. It's mom, mom and dad's blood pressure goes down a couple of notches. That tension that was building from whatever it is that they were fighting over with disappears. But not only that, no one loses an eye or a body part or gets a consequence. There's something about when you personally obey that you have to understand that it doesn't just impact you, but it can infect those around you. And here in this story, we see with Elijah, this time his personal obedience is actually tied to whether or not the entire nation will receive rain. And see, now there's no indication that when God said to go present yourself to King Ahab, there's no indication that Elijah knew exactly what was going to happen. All God said to do was to go to Ahab. He didn't know that he was going to have to fight these 450 prophets of Baal. He didn't know if he would have every single thing that he would need to be able to do this battle, to be able to accomplish what God was calling him to. He simply didn't know if he would have every single thing that he needed. But all he knew is that God said, go, and so he went. And he knew that God had been faithful before, so he knew that God was going to use him to make a huge impact on this country. Now, some of you are planners, and I I completely get that, but you can plan so much that you miss an opportunity that God wants to do through you. And see, perfection is not the best indication for action. Godly obedience is. In fact, there's some of you right now, you know that God has called you to do something, but for whatever reason, you're waiting to obey. You're waiting to follow him. And right now, because you've decided to wait, the public impact that God wants to use you for is in limbo. So how much longer will you wait before you decide to start giving to fuel the mission of this church. 
How much longer will you wait to simply step across the street to meet your neighbor? After you know that God's been calling you to simply go make an introduction. How much longer will you wait to go public with your faith and get baptized? When it's so clear in Acts chapter 2 that it simply says to repent and be baptized and God wants to shrink the distance between those two events happening. In fact, we often say that when you give your life to Christ, baptism is one of the first steps of obedience for you to take. But how much longer will you wait before you go public and get baptized when God wants to use your story to impact the lives of others? How much longer will you wait to go and find that private place to meet with God so he can grow in you the bravery that he wants to develop in you to lead your family in the way that you know he's calling you to. And see, the truth of the matter is your personal obedience or disobedience to what God is calling you to, it doesn't just affect you, but it has public impact. The second thing I want you to see from this passage is that when you make a promise, keep it. When you make a promise, keep it. Back in 1 Kings chapter 18, second half of verse 1, it says, God says, go and present yourself to Ahab. And he says, I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. And then in verse 15, Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. See, God made a promise to Elijah. And he said, Elijah, if you go do what I'm calling you to do. And we're about to see how this personal obedience really does have this public impact as Elijah obeys God. And he says, if you go present yourself to King Ahab, I would surely send rain on the entire nation. And because he knew that God keeps his promises, because he knew what God was calling him to, not only did God make a promise, but because he knew that God was with him, Elijah in turn makes a promise that he surely intended to keep. And did you know today that God has made some promises to you? That there are some declarations, there are some pledges, there are some promises that God makes to you. In fact, in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, he promises that with him, all things are possible. What you're downing in your life that maybe you think you can't do, like through him, all things are possible. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he promises that he will give you rest from your burdens. If you're carrying it, he will help you carry the load. He promises to give you rest from your burdens. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, he promises that when you're feeling anxious or worried, that if you seek him, if you praise him, that he will guard your heart with his peace that transcends all understanding. He promises to give you peace. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, he promises to forgive all of your sin. No matter how small you think it is, no matter how big you think it is, no matter how far back it is, no matter what your sin is, he promises to forgive all of it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he promises that he is making you new. He's giving you new mercy every single morning. That he's going to keep showing you how great his love is. That he's going to keep developing you and strengthening you. That he is making you new. 
In Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he promises that he will direct your path, that he is leading you. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he promises to never leave you nor forsake you, ever. Even if everyone else does, God says that he is with you. He promises to never leave you. And then in John chapter 10, verse 10, he promises that through him, you can live your life to its fullest potential. No matter what your past is, no matter what the mistakes were you made, through Jesus, he promises that you can live your life to its fullest potential. And then John chapter 3, verse 16, he promises that he loves you. And if you place your faith in him, if you believe in him, you will not perish, but you will gain eternal life. Church, God has made some promises to you. And I want you to know that God keeps his promises. But the question is, do you? When you make a promise, do you keep it? I know we have a lot of military families in here, and I know that when you enlist in the, marriage, in the military that you, 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 you have an oath, you have a promise that you do. And the military oath of enlistment says, I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to regulations and the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. I know that you guys who are in the military, you have made some pledges, you have made some promises to be able to love and support this country and to protect this country. I know you men and women who are in the military, I know that you are promise keepers to this country. But outside of that, are you keeping your promise? For all of us, maybe you've made a promise this year that this should be the year that you're going to spend more time with your family. Maybe stop chasing after some things and make sure that, man, loving God, loving my family is top priority. Are you keeping your promise? Maybe there's some students out there, and last year you goofed off in school, party too much, failed some classes, whatever it is. But maybe this year you've made a promise to your mom, to your dad, to your friends, to yourself. Maybe you made a promise saying, you know, I'm not going to goof off this year. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get that degree. I'm going to finish strong. Are you going to keep your promise? And I think an even deeper question is when we make a promise, not only is the question is will we keep it, but will we keep it even when it gets hard? You know, my wife and I, we've been married now for just over 10 years. In fact, last year we celebrated our 10-year anniversary of being married to each other. And um, also this year, too, this is one of my last years left in my 30s. Next year, I'll be 39 years old, and then I'm going to be 40 years old. And I know once you hit 40, it is all downhill from there. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 40 is a new 30 and all that good stuff. So everyone's young. So, but I say that because, I say that because, you know, we've been married for a while now. And over, these, over this decade, as I've gotten older, there's a lot of things that my wife knows about me now that she didn't know about me back then. 
One of the things is that she didn't know that 10 years ago after we got married, now I'm 37 years old, that I would have gained almost 35 pounds. She didn't know that 10 years ago that in this year and as the years have progressed that I'd be slowly going bald, that my hairline would be receding. And I'm glad you, can't, you guys can't see, but there's a thin patch of hair right back here in the back of my head. I know for some guys like Pastor Todd, like it comes quickly on you, but man, it's been sneaking up on me. But she didn't, she didn't know that 10 years ago that I, I would be going bald. She didn't know that 10 years ago that I would be the type of guy who would leave my socks on the floor after I've taken them off. She didn't know that I would go through a season of being unemployed and just not being sure as to what direction God was leading us. In fact, when we first got married, I told her I was going to eventually become a doctor, but I tricked her and now I'm a pastor. <laughs> but she had no idea that that was going to happen. You know, she didn't know that I would be the type of person where I would snore so loud that she would have to shove me in the middle of the night so she would be able to get some rest. She didn't know that we would have three kids and get it, be getting ready to adopt one from India. She didn't know that at some point in our marriage that we would go through a foreclosure. She didn't know at some point in our marriage that we would suffer a miscarriage. She didn't know that we would go through a season where there was so much financial stress and distress that we really didn't know what to do. And we even had to go ask our church for help. I see, the thing is, she may not have known all that, but she made a promise. For better, for worse, for fatter or balder, <laughs> for richer, for poorer in sickness and in health until death parts us. And see, because she knew that God had made a promise to her that he promises to never leave her nor forsake her, she has made the same promise to me that she will not leave. And see, the truth of the matter is we know that God keeps his promises. And see, when God keeps his promises, he gives us the ability to keep ours. And right now, some of you are in a place where you've made a promise and you're in danger of violating it. You're in danger of moving away from that promise. But I want to encourage you that because God keeps his promise, you have the power and the authority and the ability to keep yours. When you make a promise, do you keep it? And the third thing I believe that God wants to grow in us in this passage is that your public declarations can make a difference. Your public declarations can make a difference. I think there's two declarations that, that Elijah makes in this passage I want to kind of walk us through before we're done today. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, it says this. It says, Elijah went before the people and he said, how long... Will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And see, there's this showdown is about to happen between Elijah and these 450 prophets of Baal. And like I said earlier, there's actually supposed to be closer to 800, but I think half of them chickened out or half of them completely lost heart. And pretty much what's about to happen in this story is they're about to have this sacrifice off. Elijah pretty much calls all these prophets of Baal and he says, we're going to set up this sacrifice. 
We're going to get this bowl. We're going to get this wood. We're going to get these stones. And we're going to make this, this sacrifice. And whichever God is a real God should call down fire from heaven to be able to consume the sacrifice. So he says to these 400 prophets of Baal, call on Baal. If he's real, he hasn't done anything in the past three years. He's a false God. But if you think he's real, call on him. And if he sends down fire from heaven, then he's a real God. And Elijah says, but if I call on the one true living God and he sends down fire from heaven to consume this sacrifice, then the Lord is God. And so the prophets of Baal, they start to try to do everything to get Baal to do something. He hasn't done anything in three years. He's not real, but they're trying to do everything to get Baal to respond, to consume the sacrifice. I mean, they start dancing around the sacrifice. They start shouting to Baal, hoping something would happen. They even get to a point where they start cutting themselves and hurting themselves, trying to make Baal do something. And scripture says from morning until noon, they did this. So after a while, after Elijah even kind of made fun of him, he said, you know what, you guys have tried to reach your false god. Now it's my turn. Now listen to what it says here in verse 36. It says, at the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. He said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Elijah was really risking it all when he decided to make this public declaration that the Lord is God. When he decided to step up and to pray and to battle these prophets of Baal, he really was risking it all. He was the most wanted man in the, in the entire nation. In fact, doing this, going public with this declaration could have cost him his life. But what if Elijah would have remained quiet? What if he would have said nothing? An entire nation would still be in drought. They would still be suffering physically and spiritually because they had separated themselves so far from God. But because Elijah makes his public declaration, a difference is made in the life of many. And there's something about when God uses us to publicly declare who he is, that you can make an impact. You can make a difference in the lives of many people. In fact, there's two things that Elijah shows us that he does in this passage. Elijah simply prays out loud and he lives out loud. He prays out loud and he lives out loud. And I was thinking today, you know, what if our church, what if we just put these two things into practice today? What if we just put these two things into practice this week where to make this public declaration and see the difference that God can start to make in the life of people if we simply prayed out loud and we simply lived out loud? What if this week you decide to begin to pray out loud with your family? 
What if you guys got together maybe once or twice this week and you prayed, just claiming the promise of God, because you know God keeps his promises and you prayed for each other out loud? That may change the entire atmosphere in your household. What is this week in your life group? What if you decide to make a public declaration by praying out loud? And instead of when your life group leader comes around at the end and asks who wants to pray, instead of you like covering your face, hoping he doesn't notice you, what if you said, yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pray out loud for our entire group. And what if you did that and that caused bravery to start growing in other people in a group and man, you pray for something that's been happening in your life and you make a difference in his life and that translates into a difference in somebody else's life. Something happens when you decide to proclaim the promises of God as you pray to him with others and you do it publicly. God uses that to make a difference in other people's lives. What if today after church, as you venture to whichever restaurant you might be venturing to, what if you took a moment and you prayed for your meal, but not only prayed for your meal, but you prayed for your waitress or your waiter? You can make a difference in their life today. You know, that's something that my wife and I, we try to practice often when we go to a restaurant. We try to learn what the waiter or waitress's name is. And then we tell them after they take our order, we ask them, we say, we're about to pray for our meal. Is there something that we can pray for for you? We ask them if they have any prayer requests. In fact, just a few years ago, we were down in, in IHOP in South Florida. And we, we, we were at IHOP and the, wait, the waitress had just finished taking our order. And I said her name and I said, we're about to pray for a meal. Is there anything that we can pray for for you? And that waitress seriously took a step back. And she said, nobody's ever asked me that. She said, I would love it if you prayed for me. And she said, can you pray that God would just help me and that he would bless me? And I said, we definitely can do that. So she went to take our order back to the kitchen. And, she, and then we went ahead and we prayed for our meal. And then we prayed for her. And so after she's finished delivering our order to the kitchen, she, she comes back out and she scoots my wife over. And she sits down right next to us in our booth at IHOP. And she proceeded to tell us that she watches people come in the restaurant all the time and she sees them praying for their meal, but not one single person has ever asked her if they could pray for her. And she proceeded to tell us that she'd been going through this terrible season in her life where all she's been wanting is for God to show her that he sees her, that he cares about her, that he still loved her. And when we asked if we could pray for her, she said she knew in that moment that God still cares. She went on to say that she, was, she had been in church for a, a while when she was really young, but had been drifted so far away from God and how she'd just been hoping for something to be able to help push her back into church. And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. And here's a couple of steps for you to take. I gave her the name of a church that was local, close by, that she would be able to go to. And we prayed for her again. But there's something about when you make a public declaration, when you live out loud and you pray out loud, that God uses it to make a difference in the lives of people. So the question is, do you really want to make a difference? So not only did Elijah pray out loud, but there was no question he was living out loud. There was no question that he was a follower of God. There was no question that he was declaring with his life that the Lord the Lord is God. So when it comes to your public declarations that God wants to use them to make a difference in the lives of people, 
you're either making a difference for good or a difference for bad. Because we're all making public declarations. And I think one of the, talking about living out loud, one of the most public platforms we have nowadays is social media. And did you know that when you declare something, you declare what you value. When you declare something, you're declaring what you worship. So when you're declaring things out there on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, sending messages on Snapchat, when you're doing those things, what are you declaring? Are you declaring that you value most or you worship most politics in every single event that happens in the news? Are you declaring most or do you even worship yourself because you're always taking selfies, trying to get some type of validation or justification from somebody else? And see, the truth of the matter is, you know what, it, it, it's okay to do those things sometimes. It's okay to share a news article and have conversations or to send selfies or post cat videos or whatever else people are doing on social media nowadays. But when people look at what you're publicly declaring, does it say more than anything that you value Jesus? Does it say more than anything that the Lord, the Lord is God? Because your public declarations can make a difference for good or for bad. I'm going to ask our worship team to go and make their way back up to their stage. And as they're making their way back up the stage, I just want to close with these two questions just to do some examination. And I hope that these questions will keep messing with you all week. And the first question is, have I made a public promise that I'm about to break. Did you make a promise that right now you're in danger of violating? I wanna encourage you that as much as you can, whether that's a public declaration to accomplish a goal, something that you've pledged to your family, something that you've pledged to God, or even if it's your spouse, I wanna challenge you that this week you can get whatever help you needed. And maybe that is making sure you attend life group this, this, this week. Maybe that's making sure after we're done when our prayer team is down here that you come and get prayer for that. Maybe that's making sure that this week you set up an appointment with a counselor so you will not break this promise that you know God wants you to keep. And the second question I want you to be able to ask this week is do I need to make a public declaration? For some of you guys, whether it's social media, whether it's the way you've been living your life, like you've declared everything opposite of who God is. Maybe this week, the number one thing that you can do is to declare that Jesus is Lord in your life. What if you use your social media to share your testimony this week and share what God, what your life was, what God, how Jesus has changed you and what God is doing in your life right now. What if you publicly declared who Jesus is and what he's done to you? And that can make a difference in somebody's life this week. And for some of you, your public declaration needs to be baptism. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting, but God wants you to go public because your story will make a difference in somebody else's life. There's no need to wait any longer. Before you leave today, you can fill out the connect card saying you want to be baptized and drop it off at guest services. You can tell that to one of our prayer team members. You can sign up online to get baptized. Our next baptism service is just a little bit over a month away. Would you go public so you can make a difference in somebody else's life? And for some of you, 
you haven't given your life to Christ yet, but you know that privately God's been working on you, he's been calling you, you know that personally he's been refining and showing you that he loves you and he cares about you and he wants what's best for you and you need to declare today publicly that you've decided to follow Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Christ yet, in just a few moments, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you have a chance to declare today that Jesus is the Lord of your life. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're in this room today, if you're watching online, if, if, you're, if you've made a promise and you know you're in danger of breaking it, I just want to be able to pray for you. Will you just slip your hand up real quick and just slip it back down? All right, anybody else? Just slip it up and slip it right back down. I want you to know that because God has made some promises to you, that he loves you, that he's never going to leave you nor forsake you, and he's not going to abandon you, and through him you can live your life to the fullest potential, because God made a promise and because he keeps it, you can keep yours. And if you're listening today, you haven't given your life to Christ, but you're ready to be brave and to give your life to him, I want you to know that God has made some promises to you that if you believe in him and you place your faith in him, you will gain eternal life. So if that's you today, and you're ready to make a public declaration that Jesus is the Lord of my life, if that's you, would you pray this simple prayer right where you are? Would you say, Jesus, today, God, I declare that you are Lord. God, today, I'm holding on to your promises. God, today, I believe that you've forgiven me and I believe that you're setting me free. Jesus, you are the Lord and leader of my life. Now, if that's you today, and you pray that prayer while everyone says their heads down and their eyes closed, I'm gonna to count to three, and then I want you to be brave, and I want you to publicly declare that Jesus is now the Lord of your life by sending your hand straight up in the air, and if you're watching online and that's you, I want you to click right below me that you're declaring that Jesus is the Lord of my life, one, two, three. Going to send your hand up, shoot it straight up, keep it up there just for a moment as our prayer team makes their way around to you. Be brave, lift that hand up this morning. Watching online, if you, if you just click right below me. And Father God, I want to thank you so much, Lord, for God, just how you bring bravery into our lives. God, how you work your promises in our lives. God, I wanna, I wanna pray, God, that we will be a church that understands that our personal obedience can have so much public impact. Well, I want us to be a church, God, that understands that when we make a promise, God, because you keep your promises, that we can keep ours. But God, I want us to be a church that understands that when we make public declarations, God, that you wanna use us, Lord, to impact and to make a difference in the lives of others. God, we trust you, Lord. God, we want to be brave for you. In Jesus' name, amen.